Hey there! I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yahtzee and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. I'm preaching indoors this, uh, this weekend, which is kind of a bummer. I'm not real thrilled about that, but uh, being the procrastinator that I can be with my sermons, I'm preparing this on Friday and the, uh, the weather's pretty crummy out. So here we are indoors and, and well, I know you've all missed this lovely uh, pink colored, rose colored uh, carpet. And so here's your, here's your little snippet to keep you going for a few more weeks. Time will tell, don't take my word for it, but it's looking very promising that in the matter of a few weeks, we will be gathering together outdoors for worship rather than having to do this online. I'm really looking forward to that. So hold tight. Please pray for God's guidance as we consider what that might look like. This morning, I want to share with you the story of Robert Wilton. He's a stuntman for many movies and uh, TV shows. Robert was used to living life on the edge. I was living the dream, he said. He said this about his life as he faced injury and even death on a regular basis through the many stunts that he was asked to do. One time he was doing a stunt at a monster truck rally and he had to paint himself with a flammable substance. And then he had to drop down from the rafters, land on a car, the car driver would reach up, light him on fire, and he'd be in flames and the car would launch forward toward a wooden wall through which Robert would get uh, projected. Uh, just a big grand scene. And, and so he goes about this and, and things did not go well at all. First off, his rope caught a snag. And so he ended up having to jump down a significant distance from the rafters rather than, uh, rather than being let down. And uh, so this was hard enough on him in, in the first place. And then he landed on the car, signals to the driver that's time to light him on fire. The driver couldn't get the lighter to work. And so he's standing there waiting, not, not catching fire. And finally, he gives him the, the go for the car to proceed ahead. The car does uh, and projects him through this wooden wall. He hits the window wall, or the, sorry, the wooden wall blasts through and finishes the stunt. And, and the audience is kind of confused. They're sort of giving this awkward applause. And, and, and the thing is, in that moment, as Robert picked himself up off the ground, sore and aching from the, that jarring experience in those moments, he realized that he had forgotten to apply the protective uh, spray that he had to use. It was a gel to coat his neck and his face so that he would be protected when he was lit on fire. And he was just blown away by this moment. Had he had that lighter worked in that moment, he possibly he could have been injured very severely, incredible burns, and possibly even to the point of death. A fascinating experience. Now, one time he was telling this story to a stunt coordinator on the set, and the stunt coordinator simply said, Robert, like it really seems like God was looking after you there. And this is the comment that started Robert's journey to Christ. This comment cracked Robert's uh, self-illusion 
that uh, he was indestructible, that it was kind of a mix of his own strength and skill and a bit of sheer luck along the way. It cracked that illusion and opened the door to the possibility that there was a divine being, a creator, who was looking out and over him, guiding his steps. It opened the door for a number of conversations about faith in the weeks and the months ahead. Robert hadn't made a commitment to Christ. He'd been wrestling with it, but wasn't sure until one time he was faced with doing a stunt where he was at incredible heights that he was going to have to jump down from. And he was terrified. And actually in that moment, it was that experience that propelled him to say, you know what, God, I have to know that you are with me. I have to know that if this doesn't work out, I'm in a good spot with you, that, uh, that I'll, I'll be okay, that, that I will have eternal life. And, and so in that moment, in that moment of panic, he prayed a prayer placing his faith in Jesus, saying, you know what? I want to follow you. I'm going to surrender my life to you. That was the start of a journey for Robert. That decision that night changed his life. People around him began to notice. His language was changing. The things that he said, the stories that he told were different. He began to talk about Jesus along the way. He was no longer using some of the substances that he had previously to numb kind of the pain and the, and the sorrow in his heart. Robert was experiencing freedom from sin. This was his salvation story. Robert goes on to tell a story, goes on to tell his story saying that throughout his years, God has carried him through incredibly joyful experiences, but incredibly painful experiences as well, including losing a child on two occasions, infants. And, and he says, you know what? But God has been with me and God is good. This is Robert's salvation story. I love salvation stories. That story comes from Christianity Today magazine. I subscribe to that and every month in the very back page there's a salvation story, a testimony and they're fascinating. I love reading them. I love asking people as I cross paths with them, what's your story? How did you come to faith in Jesus? These are stories of salvation. My sermon title for this week is You Can Be Free Forever. There's nothing fancy about it. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward, I think relatively understandable. You can be free forever. Simple, but a profound truth. Perhaps this is true for you already. Perhaps, for, and I know for many of you, perhaps most of you, that you have made that decision, that you've entered into faith in Christ. You've surrendered your life to him. Maybe some of you watching, that's a new idea, or you're not sure, and it's something that you're kind of toying with. And I invite you to consider that possibility that through faith in Jesus, you can be free forever. You can have a salvation story like Robert Wilton's and so many others. Our current teaching series is entitled, This Journey to Freedom. We're looking at the freedom from oppression that the Israelites experienced from a number of different angles and then applying it to life today. The first two messages have have applied more specifically to the idea of social oppression, the social systems around us. And so we've been thinking about different things like addictions, like broken relationships, like poverty, uh, like realities of ethnic division, racism, all kinds of those broader social issues. And, and no doubt this story of Exodus applies to each and every one of those. Today we're going to be looking at it a little bit more on a personal and spiritual level. And I think it's critical that we look at this story of the Exodus through this lens as well. Now, to be honest, it bothers me sometimes that some of you just love all of the instances in which the scriptures or Christian faith speak to issues of justice. 
You love looking at oppression. You love looking at realities of marginalization and saying, how can we come and be the peaceful presence of Jesus? Now, I, I love that, that uh, I love it when people get excited about that stuff. But what bothers me is that when those are the only places or the primary places that you lean in, and then when it comes to topics like spiritual healing, like evangelism, like um, being reconciled to God through Jesus, you kind of lean back and you're like, ah, whatever. But as soon as something comes up about justice, you're like, ah, oh, yeah, let's go. And vice versa, it bothers me when some of you, when it's about evangelism, when it's about the power of the gospel, when it's about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, you lean in, you're good to go. How can we experience the Holy Spirit personally, individually? You're keen. But then we talk about social issues around us. We talk about peace and justice. And you lean back and you're just like, eh, I don't know, maybe that matters. I'm not sure. That bothers me too. Both instances, looking at the freedom of God, looking at the deliverance of God, looking at the gospel on a broader social scale or a personal individual scale, these are both instances of the gospel. And so I think that it's critical that when we look at the Exodus story, we look at it through these different lenses. I believe that the core issue for every person is that they place their faith in Jesus. There's a personal decision through the work of Jesus at the cross. You can come to faith in Christ so that you will have eternal life, so that you can live forever. But then the kingdom of God, the goodness of God breaking into the earth has incredible social, um, social impact, social realities. And so we need to care both about individual salvation and about the broader social effects for that's what the good news of Jesus is. It's both private and personal and broader and social. And so this week, now we're going to look at it a little bit more from the angle of personal salvation. My message today is based on Exodus chapter 7 to 15. Some of you have read this already. If you're, if you're one of the folks that did the homework, that's great. I don't expect that everybody did that. And so I'm just going to give a, a, a summary. It's really hard to preach a sermon on eight chapters of scripture in one shot. I really struggled with this, but it's, it's what we're up to. So a summary, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They're building bricks. They're being beaten. They're being oppressed. The Egyptians are trying to keep their numbers under control so that they won't, um, they won't rise up against the empire. So they're, they're slaves. God gets a hold of Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go and lead your people, confront Pharaoh Ask him to let your people, let my people go. You are the leader. Moses is hesitant. He's like, hold on, I don't think I can do this. So God says, all right, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He will speak on your behalf. So then Moses and Aaron, they go and they confront Pharaoh. And 10 plagues are sent by God, 10 displays of power, 10 instances of judgment upon the Egyptian empire. A river turns to blood. There's frogs everywhere. There's hail. There's dead livestock. There's darkness. That's not all of them, but that's a few of them. And eventually the firstborn son of every family is put to death, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh. All these instances in which God is aiming to get Pharaoh's attention. Terrible, terrible events. A long story short, Pharaoh eventually relents, says the people can go. The people leave, they're fleeing away from this land. And God guides them at day. He both guides and protects them with a cloud to cover them, and then at night with a pillar of fire to show them their way. Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends the army after the Israelites. The Israelites are like, good heavens, what are we going to do? We're trapped here. God tells, Pharaoh, tell, tells Moses to hold the staff out over the Red Sea. He does that. The waters part. The people cross over. You know the story. You've seen, you've seen the, the various movies, whether it's uh, Ten Commandments back in the day or 
or uh, Prince of Egypt. Anyway, the, the waters part, they get across, they're on the, other uh, on the other side, but Pharaoh's army's chasing after, and then God closes the water over top of them, and a final act of judgment upon Egypt, the military, is uh, drowned, put to death. And they sing, they celebrate on the other side. Moses' sister Miriam leads the people with the tambourine and singing and dancing. They're pumped because they have been saved. That's basically the story in a nutshell. This story mirrors salvation in your life. You can be free forever. This story mirrors what life can look like as the people of God. So first, the obvious one, the people of God were oppressed in slavery. Exodus 3.14, the Egyptians made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. We also experience slavery, slavery to sin. Romans chapter 6 verse 16 says that we have been slaves to sin, which leads to death. Because we've turned from God, because we said we don't want your goodness, we don't want your, your ways of life, I'm going to do my own thing. God hands us over to that path that we choose, which leads to death. Walking away from God, the author of life, is a walk toward death. And so we are slaves to sin, which leads to death. We live apart from God. This is a sad reality. We are, we are in, on a personal, spiritual level, we experience slavery the same way that the Israelite people did. When we live apart from Christ, we are placing our faith in, we're giving our allegiance to false gods, false ideas, false values, false motives. Earlier on, I mentioned that story about Robert Wilton, the stuntman. What were the false gods that he was placing his faith in? Well, he was thinking that he was more or less indestructible. He was thinking that there was some, some kind of idea of, of luck maybe that kind of preserved him, but he was more or less, he was living for the glory. He thought he was invincible. He was trusting in himself and trusting in um, the adulation of the people around him as he did incredible things. These are false gods, things that he was trusting in that would ultimately let him down. And so when he experienced God, God exposed a crack in that and showed that he was more powerful than the false things that Robert Wilton had been trusting in. And that's actually a key part of what God does with Pharaoh here. God shows that he is more powerful than the various deities of Egypt. Egypt had many deities, many gods that the people worshipped. And one of the really neat realities of the Exodus story is that the 10 plagues that happen, each one ties directly to one of the Egyptian gods. Each one, uh, there's a, a, an obvious link, not obvious to us, but obvious to the people that lived in that time, an obvious link where God is saying, this God of yours, I'm actually bigger and more powerful. So I'm not gonna go through all of them, but one of them, the, uh, when, the Nile, when the Nile River is turned to blood, the Nile was a life source for the people, God is confronting the, uh, the Egyptian the Egyptian god of Hapi. I should refer to God as Yahweh, so this doesn't get confusing. Yahweh is the name of Israel's god. So Yahweh is confronting Hapi. Hapi is the Egyptian god of the Nile. He's known as the water bearer. And so this water, the source of life, God is saying, I'm bigger than that. I can turn it to blood, and, and your god can do nothing about it. Another instance, there's frogs, the one plague. Just fills the land with frogs. They're a horrible nuisance, and then they die, and they pile up, and they stink. And this is a direct confrontation of the god Heket. Heket was the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. Heket was pictured as having the head of a frog. 
And so what God is saying here is you've got this goddess who looks like a frog, and I'm the one who can create all kinds of frogs, and, and Heket is the, the goddess of fertility, but here I'm going to kill these frogs, and they're going to stink. They're going to be a stench to your nose. God is saying, your God, um, Heket, Yahweh is saying, I'm greater. I'm more powerful. Heket's got nothing on me. And then to kind of move forward through the plagues, the, the second last one is, is uh, the plague of darkness over the entire area of Egypt. This confronts Ra, the sun god. The sun god was their greatest god next to Pharaoh. Ra, um, Ra was the one who, uh, sorry, one second. Ra is the one who, as the sun god, uh, the sun light re representing life, darkness representing death, is, is the god of life and, and death. And, and uh, basically Yahweh is saying like, Ra, you've got a, you think Ra's a big deal? You pledge your allegiance to Ra? I'm bigger than that. I can make things dark. Ra can't do anything about it. And this experience of the Israelite God saying, and Moses saying, our God will make it dark, and then that happens, would have been a complete, um, it, it would have rattled the Egyptian people and their trust in their faith system. And then last of all is death to the, fir to the firstborn. This feels horrible to our modern sensibilities. It feels horrible to me, the idea that God would move through Egypt and kill the firstborn in every family. I, I don't understand it. I think that this, these are instances in which we need to acknowledge that God is mysterious. He is far beyond our understanding. God acts in ways that we can't comprehend, and so we need to trust and we need to walk with them, even as we grapple and, and wrestle with what that looks like. And so... In this, the, the firstborn son of the Pharaoh is killed. And God is saying, Yahweh is saying to the Pharaoh, he's like, I'm, I'm bigger. You can't stop me. The thing that is dearest to you, the, the, the future of your people, the future of your dynasty, I can overcome that. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. God is saying to Pharaoh, I'm bigger. Don't stand in my way. Let my people go. God also confronts our idols, our false ideologies in our own salvation stories. There's a common, um, common themes in, uh, so earlier I, I pointed to those salvation stories. Those salvation stories from Christianity Today magazine. And I'm going to read you a couple of the titles from these salvation stories. One, the Woodstock generation swallowed me up and spit me out. This person experienced God confronting the, rea the, the idea of, of humanism. The person in the story talks about how they really thought that they could work together to make a better society, but then they saw the moral depravity in the midst of the movement and their communes and whatnot, and, and God overcame that, that, that humanism and said, you can't make life better on your own. You need me. The next one, I was a World Series hero on the brink of suicide. The God of pride and despair was confronted by the one true God. Another one, I took drugs to a church conference, and then God found me. And here we have Yahweh confronting and overwhelming this idea, this, this, the God of pleasure, the pursuit of pleasure. Another one, I was a new age healer and I didn't realize that I wasn't the one doing the healing. The false God, the God of false spirituality is confronted. Another one, I assumed science had all the answers and then I started asking inconvenient questions. Naturalism, this idea that ever, there's no supernatural, it's all natural, it can all be understood through modern rational thought. That's it, that's all. I love science, science is great, science is a gift from God, but when that's all that you put your trust in, that leads nowhere. This false God is overcome by the one true God in this person's story. So many false things that we place our trust in. And our salvation stories are ones where God exposes how they lead us 
Um, they leave us hanging. They're not fulfilling, and he is bigger. He is greater. The next thing we see in Israel's salvation story that applies to ours is the presence of blood. On the night before the last plague, Moses instructs the people. He tells them to prepare a feast with a lamb. Chapter 12, verse 3, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household, and to slaughter it. Then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses. And then they eat that Passover feast together. Chapter 12, verse 12 goes on. It says, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you. When I strike Egypt, it was the blood of these lamb, these, the lamb, these sheep that um, covered the people that signified that something had died on their behalf. Was there power in that blood? No, but it's a foreshadow. It points forward to what Jesus would come to do. We know that Jesus, he, he came to, as God in human form, came to live among us and he went to die on the cross. He shed his blood, God dripping with blood, being put to death, standing in on our place saying that judgment, God's judgment, uh, that death that those firstborn in Egypt experienced, we also deserve that because of our, our sin. God says, I'm going to stand in on your behalf. I'm going to die instead for you. So the power of blood. And this is, this is uh, Jesus and his ministry is a carrying on of that Passover lamb or as a fulfillment is definitely evident. When Jesus showed up on the scene, John the Baptist, John 1.29 says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the whole world. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 1 Corinthians also refers to Jesus as the Passover Lamb. Jesus gave his life for you. He shed that blood in the same way that the blood of the Lamb was was shed to save them from the judgment on Egypt. And, and Jesus was delighted to do that for you. He loved you. He loved you. You can't pay for your sin. You can't escape God's judgment on your own. You can't become righteous. You can't become good and whole apart from Jesus. And he shed his blood for you. So that's another critical aspect. Without that reality, we don't have a salvation story. The next piece we see is God's presence. After that last plague, Pharaoh relents. He lets the people go. That's kind of it in a nutshell. And we see God's guiding presence. So he creates this cloud to cover them and to guide them in the day. He creates a pillar of fire to guide them at night. Exodus 13, 21, by the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God was guiding them. He didn't leave them to kind of flounder and figure out their way. He says, I'm going to show you where to go. I'm going to protect you and guide you. Robert Wilton's story. You can see God's activity all around him. And I want to, I want to emphasize to you, you may be able to see it in retrospect, some of it, and some of it you might have no idea about. But God was guiding you every step of the way. He was leading you. He was placing people, events, circumstances around you to guide you to salvation. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus yet, I invite you to look for and to trust that God has been guiding you as well. It's, it's pretty exciting to see. Robert Wilton, he had had Bible camp experiences as a kid where God showed him these stories of Jesus. These memories helped him in that process. God put 
uh, God saved him from that flammable substance when that stunt went awry. God put that stunt coordinator across his path to ask those questions to open up the conversation. God is at work all around you without even knowing it. He is present. And the last piece is deliverance. For Israel, there is a moment of salvation. There's a moment of deliverance and rescue. Chapter 14, verse 21, where they step into freedom. No longer slaves, they are now a free people. 1421, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea and dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And then as a final act of judgment, the godless and evil oppression of Egypt, their military forces perish in the sea as it folds back on them. Verse 29, but Israel went through on the sea on dry ground with the wall of water on the right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of Egyptians. This was a moment of deliverance. You also have or can have a moment of deliverance. God can save you. When you place your faith in Jesus, I don't understand exactly how this works, but there's something that changes when you say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I repent of my sins. I declare you as my king. Please forgive me. There's something that happens. You're adopted from being apart from God's family. You're adopted into God's family. Your name is written in the book of life to be recorded and you will join God in his kingdom. You are now officially a child of God when that happens. That moment of freedom. If you, after that, if you die, you're going to head into eternal life, life forever. You can have life forever through faith in Jesus. He's delighted to rescue you and to set you free. It's our own kind of crossing of the Red Sea. Paul and Silas, they said to the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You could also say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be free. And then, the, oh, sorry, I said that was the last piece. This is the last piece, is celebration. Moses and the people went on to celebrate. Could you imagine how pumped they would be if they just saw what they saw? Of them fleeing in terror, not sure what's going to happen. They're on the other side, the water's turned back, and the Egyptian army that's chasing them is destroyed. They're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so that, that, that reaction pales in comparison to how they actually <laughs> would have responded. Just blown away by what they saw. They would have been so excited. They would have been so enthralled with the power of God, that sense of relief, that idea of being free with no master for the very first time in their lives on the other side of the Red Sea. They were pumped. And so they were led by Miriam, Moses' sister, and they celebrated. Exodus 15, verse 20 says, Miriam took her timbrel in a hand and, and the women followed her with dancing. Miriam sang a song of what God had just done. Being saved is worthy of celebration. That's why when we get together, we sing songs together. That's why we feast together with potlucks. That's why we laugh and tell jokes. That's why we, we pray maybe when you're on your own, you, you shout out to God. I've, I've been singing out loud while I've been walking back roads the last couple months. I, I sound silly, but I, I quite enjoy it. Like this, this celebration, different ways that you might do it of what God has done. We need to celebrate. How do you celebrate the saving work that God has done, that he has set you free? And if you have not experienced that celebration, I invite you again, place your faith in Jesus. Make that decision today so that you can be free forever. God has done such marvelous things to set us free. So I, I want to conclude with two questions. The first one is, have you been saved? Have you been set free forever? If you don't know the answer to that question, I invite you to make that decision. If you still have, you know, this is just like an open door. You're really not sure, like talk to somebody. 
Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your friend, your next door neighbor. Talk to myself, talk to one of our elders, talk to Pastor Dennis, Pastor Deb. There's lots of us. If you came and said, you know what, like, I think I want to give my life to Jesus, we'd be so excited. We'll try not to scare you away with our enthusiasm. We're like, yeah, you know what, let's talk about that. And we can pray together. You can make that decision and know that you will be free forever. That this can be a story of yours of deliverance, of fleeing from the gods of this world, fleeing toward the one true God. Please place your faith in Jesus. That's the freedom that you need more than any other type of freedom. The second question I want to ask is, are you celebrating the salvation work that God has done in you? Are you celebrating the freedom that God has extended to you? You've been set free. That's worthy of celebration. How can you celebrate? Well, tell someone the story. Tell someone the story. Maybe you've never told your kids about that point of conversion. If you've never done that, you need to do that. Was it when you were six and, and it was after like a church service or then you knelt with your mom at your bedside? Maybe it was when you were at Bible camp and, and you gave your heart to Jesus. Maybe it was when you were 19 and, and you just had this personal kind of moment with God where you surrendered or maybe you were at like a youth rally or I don't know. I don't know what that is, but tell, if you've never told your kids, you gotta tell your kids. Tell someone around you that story. Sing with gusto. Maybe when we uh, sing together in our Zoom gathering, sing with gusto the next time you're you're uh sorry the next time you're listening to some worship music or or maybe the next time you feast together say you know what like we're having dinner together this is great we're gonna we're gonna eat we're gonna drink to the glory of god he has been so good to us eating is a wonderful way of worship there's a reason why god gave them the passover meal to celebrate through feasting together and when we do that, we join Miriam and the Israelites and we sing with great glee. So how do you live this out? If you've not decided to place your faith in Jesus, I plead with you to do that so that you can be free forever. And if you have, well, celebrate. Tell, tell someone, shoot me an email, give me a call. Be like, you know what? Uh, make my day. I, I, I'm going off the cuff here. Make, make my week. Um, I would just be pumped if at least one person contacts me this week and says, Ryan, I want to tell you my story of salvation. I'll be super disappointed if, if I'm doing my weekend teaching next Friday and nobody's contacted me to tell me their story of salvation. And I'll be elated if even 10 of you do that. I, I, would, be, I would be pumped. Interrupt whatever I'm doing. Give me a call. Tell me your salvation story. Let's celebrate this together. Thanks so much for being with us. May the Holy Spirit fill you, encourage you, speak to you. Reach out to someone, please, if you want to have that conversation. And uh, we'll see you on Sunday morning. Take care.